The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. We are back with another episode of the Touch Em All podcast. And this time, it's not really rubbing rubbing it in because it's 80 degrees, I think, in Minnesota right now, too. But we are in Anaheim, California, Derek, to scout the Angels in this battle for the wild card spot in the American League. Just to let you guys know for some advanced (laughs) scouting. Hey, that... The my scouting report is they've got a center fielder who is pretty good. He's good at baseball. Yeah, he's yeah. he's does a lot of things on the field. Although the Twins have a center fielder who's become pretty good at baseball that yeah. we should talk about on this episode. Uh, I think this is going to be a redemption episode. The Twins redeeming themselves after slipping before the trade deadline. Now, as we record this, five games over five hundred in playoff position. Several players on redemption tours, but we are in Anaheim, California, for fittingly. The podcast movement convention. This is the second time that you and I have been sent out last year in Chicago by our company Hubbard, and then kind of by extension, the company that we're partnered with, Podcast One. And so we've been soaking in not only some sunshine, but mostly just like in convention rooms in the basement of yeah. a Marriott, yeah. despite the fact that we're a block away from Disneyland. It's 75 and couldn't be more perfect, <laughs> and we're in like these air-conditioned downstairs where you're like a little uncomfortably cold. Like I sound like a such a sweatshirt. Minnesotan. Right. But we're, we're soaking in some of the, I don't know, intricacies of the podcast landscape, and uh, so there, there, there's a lot of geeky sessions that we're a part yeah. of, but it's fun to meet people, it's fun to learn. And it's fun to maybe put some tools in our tool belts to help this podcast get better and to help our network, ever-expanding, the 1500 ESPN network, well, get better. And as long as we're embracing the geekiness, I, I think that we continue to carry that over onto this podcast. I've Basically, since we started this podcast, Phil, I've, I've been a pretty unapolog- unapologetic geek about it. And not that, I, not that I geek out over the Twins necessarily, but just like baseball and sometimes stats... And I just think that, and I've I've had this reaffirmed here this week. I think that there are some people that would be turned off by me saying things like "non-zero chance" of the Twins going to the postseason because they want to know will they or won't they. But what's what's been reaffirmed for me this week is that like, I, if you don't like the phrase "non-zero chance" or you don't like me talking about the lower degrees of probability or what, well, you know, whatever. I mean, you can get into the baseball stats too. If you don't like that stuff, like this podcast isn't for you. And I think I need to let go of that, of worrying that I'm a nerd because like I, that's the secret. I'm a nerd and I like baseball. You can be an unabashed nerd. Hi, I'm Derek and uh, I'm a baseball nerd. And I'm, I'm a baseball nerd too, but I would say that you're just a little more nerdy. I'm a nerd. I'm more of a nerd than you in like real life. And baseball, I'd say we're pretty close, like basically the same it's, viewpoint. And as far as non-zero, um, for a while there it was, yeah, there is a non-zero, although only slightly non-zero chance that the Twins are going to make the playoffs. It's much greater than slightly above non-zero now. In yeah. fact, I'm on numberfire.com, okay. 
And at the top of the pecking order, the Los Angeles Dodgers are still projected to flirt with the Major League wins record. Number Fire has them at one thirteen and forty nine nice. projected. Yeah, I think the record's one sixteen. I think they're going to go to the postseason uh, as we sit here recording this in late August. Aren't they like twenty games up it's, on really good teams, really yeah. good players? I mean, Arizona's teams. in their division, and Arizona's <laughs> basically in the driver's seat for the wild card in the National League and has yeah. no hope in the division. But the Twins are sitting at a thirty. 7% chance to make the postseason, and Number 37. Fire has them at 83 and 79 projected. So they're basically, if you get to the mid-80s and wins, and the Twins are on their way, sitting five games above 500, it is, let's just start here. Um, I laid them to rest when they waved the white flag, and I thought that was the right move. I thought trading Brandon Kinsler was the right move. I thought trading Jaime Garcia was the right move. They were seven games back in the division. They were multiple games back and behind multiple teams for a wild card spot, and they had like a minus 72 run differential. Well, they've gained plus 50 since the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. They could really use a Brandon Kinsler right now yes. in the late innings, yes. and they're kind of patchworking the back end of their rotation, but here they sit, mostly because of the resurgence of Jorge Polanco and Byron Buxton and Brian Dozier, as always, getting super hot over a one- or two-month stretch. So it's super fun. We're sitting here. It's almost September, and the Twins, if the season ended right now, would be an unlikely playoff team. But one of the most fun teams, I think, just in terms of your lack of expectations in my lifetime watching the Twins. Yeah, I think that when you when you look at the roster heading into spring training, you thought, they're getting there. Uh, there are some pieces with the lineup that you like, but their pitching staff's not close to being a postseason team, and their bullpen, yuck. Um, you're hoping on a huge year from Brandon Kinsler, and you're hoping that guys get and or stay healthy, whether it's Glenn Perkins, Nick Birdie, JT Shagwa, this kind of next wave of relievers that has not appeared more or less. I mean, John Curtis, I know, got called up, but more or less not uh, delivering what you expected. And then you're also expecting that all your young players kind of take that next step forward, that that Byron Buxton's ready to be the guy that we saw in September, that Miguel Sano's a middle-of-the-order slugger for real, and that he can play third base. There were all these questions, and that led me anyway to say, yeah, probably not a postseason team. But even within that, I think I pegged them at 70. Somebody's going to call this up and tell me I'm wrong, but I think I said 79 wins, and I got laughed at, of course, um, for being too optimistic, uh, too optimistic yeah. about the twins, and and I think when I, Judd laughs at you though for being too optimistic, I feel pretty like, good about my his projection. his baseline is set. That's right. If the if the average fan's baseline is is you know somewhat positive still, I mean Judd is like five miles yeah. below that baseline. Judd's like, well, I think they'll be better than they were last year, and they won fifty nine games, so I think they'll win sixty two this yeah. year, sixty two and a hundred. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's better. You know I mean? thought I thought I was making a bold prediction in our Friday radio write that down segment when at the beginning of the year I said they are going to improve by at least twelve wins this year. So they're going to go from in the fifties to in the seventies in wins. And I sure. thought that was being sort of bold. Hmm. I mean they they tallied their fifty ninth win a week ago, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was within the last week, but it yeah. was like a week ago they got to their fifty ninth win because they have sixty five now, so they need. They need six to prove that projection correct, yeah. and um, I think, they're headed toward they're headed toward eighty something. Yeah, I think you're on a good path. What I'm what I'm trying to get at is that like the Twins roster left something to be desired, and and I mean I was trying to look at it objectively from the outside and said yeah they're not a playoff team. But this goes back to my theory, and I've brought this up on your radio show before. 
that I wonder if we're just like I, I have two things to say off this actually. I wonder if we're just too close to this, so we see a guy like Brandon Kinsler and think like, eh, he's not, eh, he's not uh, Dellen Batansis, like, eh, he's not Kenley Jansen. So, I mean, and and I'm mocking myself only with that. Um, if you couldn't tell by the voice, but the thing that I I I think that is, if we're close to a team like the Vikings, like the Timberwolves, like the Twins, for example, in this case we're just much more likely to exaggerate their warts in comparison to the rest of the league, even if you're trying to be removed and objective about it, saying, well, Brandon Kinsler doesn't strike guys out, he doesn't miss bats, so I don't trust the back end of their bullpen. And that's fair, and that's true. But Brandon Kinsler had a really good run for the Twins. And then I think the second thing that I wanted to say off it was just that there have been players who've overperformed my expectations. They've gotten contributions that I didn't expect. I mean... Eddie Rosario is a legit good player now. That's not something I expected. I was totally wrong on him. If I mean, if he keeps this up, yeah. Real yeah. quick, let me because we don't have to go deep dive on this, but we both are eating crow yeah. when it comes to Eddie Rosario. Sorry, who's Eddie. a three hundred hitter right now. We're just wrong. But in slight defense of our negative Eddie Rosario <laughs> takes from earlier this season and from last season from and forever. from two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Our biggest criticism was you can't sustain a major league caliber on-base percentage or average or productivity at the plate if you're swinging at the amount of pitches outside the zone that he does. Like It's just pitchers are going to get you out. And to his credit, and probably James Rosen and other members of the coaching staff, or just him becoming a more mature major league hitter, he, month by month, has cut down on swinging at bad pitches. Yeah. So he's tightened his strike zone, and because he's a really talented hitter when he's getting good pitches to hit and he's not swinging at crappy pitches and falling behind two strikes every time up, Yeah. um, this this is the honed mature offensive version of Eddie Rosario. Yeah. I mean, this is... At a great time for the Twins. This is like what you were hoping that he could become when he was, uh, you know, posting okay numbers in the minor leagues. I mean, not like terrible numbers, but here was a top prospect who I've kind of had questions about all along. Um, Even in his breakout rookie season where everyone is obsessed with all the extra base hits. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. I love extra base hits. But when he had like a two ninety seven on base percentage, I said... I'm not saying he can't be a good player. I'm saying it's unlikely, without changing, he is a great player. And and I still think that that was true. I'm just wrong in the sense that I said he won't become a good player. He is. Now he's a good player. And it's a good time for the Twins. Another guy who's just sort of emerged in like... Some guys have gone backwards from my expectations. Some have gone. Trevor Hildenberger is like actually a really good late inning option for yeah. them. Yeah, I mean he yes, and, the, and I think Alan Buzinitz has the more impressive stuff. But if you look at the the actual, no, it's close to me. Well, I, let me let me preface that. Alan Buzinitz throws like ninety six. Yeah, he's Alan Buzinitz can throw a fastball through a brick wall. Yes, and Hildenberger is reaching back for eighty nine, maybe ninety miles an hour. I, but if you look at just the peripheral number, strikeout to walk ratio and sure. the actual productivity. Yeah, Buznitz has a, a better ERA, but he's only striking out maybe five batters per nine, so the stuff hasn't translated to swings and misses. Hildenberger has 28 strikeouts to three walks in the 20-whatever yeah. innings he's pitched, and it's the big gap between the velocity of his fastball and changeup. Yeah. And it looks well, like it. the same pitch coming out of his hand. It that's doesn't matter it. if you throw 97, if you have a 12-mile-an-hour difference between your fastball and changeup. Yeah. He is not a fluke. No, I don't think so either. I th- and when he goes over the top, which he'll do every once in a while, I remember distinctly him doing it to Aaron Judge, get to two strikes, 
and then you know if you show a fastball that's 90 91 and then reach up over the top at, from a sidearm perspective and reach back for 94 and throw up by Aaron Judge that's impressive I don't know that that works going forward just because the league will have seen it and all that stuff but I I do think that that changeup is a legit weapon. That's why I say I'm not sure Buznitz has better stuff because I think of all their arsenal, I think Hildenberger's changeup is the best pitch that the two of them have. I think that changeup is for real, especially on the days that he really, if he gets that, it kind of runs across the plate and it dives, Well, and there's the big miles per hour gap from his fastball, that's, that's a huge weapon for a guy. He gets a ton of ground balls. I don't think that's a fluke. Um, so anyway, they've had some people in their bullpen emerge that have been really helpful. And to the point of this episode, I want to ask you a question here. Uh, because in the light of guys like Ryan Presley just being like, I mean, I like him and I like his stuff, but like just a complete disappointment this year. There's no two ways about it. Um, somebody who, frankly, if you had told me the circumstances of the Twins' bullpen, but didn't tell me what happened to Ryan Presley, I would have said, oh, yeah, he's their closer now. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you had sat me down on February 1st and said, hey, uh, you know, Glenn Perkins is going to be back, um, but maybe not at the height of his powers. Um, Brandon Kinsler will have been traded, this and this and this and this. These things are going to happen. I would have said, oh, okay, well, yeah, Presley's probably their closer then, right? I mean, that... And, and it couldn't be further from the truth. You wouldn't trust that guy with the lead in the ninth inning right now, not the way he's pitched. Uh, so so anyway, to the point of the episode on redemption and stuff, and you said you liked the Garcia trade at the time, you liked the Kinsler trade at the time. In hindsight now, knowing the Twins have been resilient, knowing you know they're stepping up, up and down the lineup and putting together a really competitive run, and it looks to me like they're going to battle with the Angels for the second wild card, do you wish they hadn't made the trades now, or do you still think, even knowing the facts, they were still the right trades? I'm going to answer that in just a second here, because I it, that that requires more than just kind of a flippant answer. Yes or no? It's, it's a complicated. I want a question. yes or no, Phil. Uh, but before we do that, I want to tell you guys about a car dealership and a service department that my family and I have been going to for thirty plus years, and you know, just just to give you an idea of the amazing family like atmosphere and relationships that they create. Uh, I think if you've been listening to this podcast or the Mackie and Judd show, you know that my mother passed away at the age of 61 about uh, two weeks ago, and she started taking vehicles to Luther Brookdale Toyota. It was Toyota City back in the 80s, uh, a 1987 baby blue Celica where the headlights flipped open like eyelids, and she got to know Steve and Dwayne and a bunch of other folks in the building at the time, some that still work there, some that don't. And, you know, I mean, it, she passed away, and multiple people reached out, sent cards. How many dealerships build that kind of an in-depth relationship? And it's not just my family. There are several families that have been taking vehicles to it, leasing, trading in, buying, selling, whatever it may be, uh, for decades and decades. So, Yeah. Um, if you want to find out what separates the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities from all of the others, all you have to do is step foot into the building on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. It's Luther Brookdale Toyota. Okay, so to your question about should the Twins regret, or I guess the way you phrased it, do you wish they hadn't made the trades that they did? I think, I mean, Jaime Garcia, you, you barely knew him. He made one start, so... 
Yeah, I mean, but the, wouldn't he be better than just he would pick whatever's behind door number two? Yes, he would. I think you have to make the best decisions possible based on the information you have in front of you. And if circumstances change, you can't live with regret. And that's not just a baseball thing. I mean, I think I, that sure. applies to all walks of life. Sure. Right? Uh, my uh, de facto life coach, I get it. But the point is that now that you know those, now that they're still here, even knowing that the information was different back then, do you wish that they had a Brandon Kinsler? Well, do you they, wish if, they had if, if they Garcia? had Brandon Kinsler, they'd be they'd be better today than they. I mean, they would be better right now with Brandon Kinsler, obviously, and he's been a really good setup man. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's I don't think he's tallied any saves yet for Washington, but no, he's been seen. lights out in the seventh and eighth innings. Um, but again, if if I'm staring at that same scenario ten or a hundred different times, a minus seventy run differential sure. and seven games back in the division battling five or six different teams for a wild card spot, a coin flip game, and behind many of them, team trending the wrong way. I just I, I, and, and the pitchers we're talking about are going to be free agents in two months, and even, even when they waved the white flag, to some degree, I mean, they still knew that they had good pieces and good components and that there was going to be low-hanging fruit, so it wasn't like it wasn't like the season was just over. In fact, we did a whole episode and, and a couple radio shows diagramming the path to the playoffs yeah. if three or four things happen, and so far those things are happening. Um, I'm not going to – I don't feel regret just having having delivered that opinion at the time. And if I'm Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, I wouldn't have any regrets either. You made the de- you made the right decision at the time. And this it's, it's possible this team could still fall out of the race. But, you know, this is a pleasant surprise free house money season. Yeah. And I think getting something of value – for Brandon Kinsler and Jaime Garcia, you can still sign those guys both in the offseason if you want to, and your team is still primed to be really good for five or six years. Yeah, so. I guess I'm just taking a different track with that. I'd rather, I mean, obviously, you didn't say this, but I think the truth is that you'd rather have those guys too. You said, well, we'd be better. Of course. You know, if, if, if you're the Twins, uh, the, way that, uh, the way that I keep thinking about this is like, um, you read that book, uh, Marie Kondo's uh, The Life-Changing Magic of uh, tidying up or whatever, oh, yeah. whatever it is, the, yeah. the Japanese the, art. The of, book that told me that I need to get rid of all my shirts from the late nineties <laughs> yeah, because they're right. holding me back. Yeah. Unless you really I kept love a couple them. of them. <laughs> yeah, if you love them and they bring you joy, hang I, on to them. I kept the "I Love You Man" Bud Light shirt from nineteen ninety six that has what? that has the armpits basically like eaten out by you know like termites. <laughs> you know what I think? I got termites. <laughs> you have a wooden shirt. You know what I think was. I got rid of after hanging on to for probably longer than I should have was an immature T-shirt I bought in high school. Uh, well, the Make 7 Up Yours T-shirt where on the front it says uh, Make yeah. 7, on the back it says Up Yours. I saw it when I was on vacation one time. I was like, I have to have this shirt. And I wore it back and my mom was like, why, what, Hold why? on. Si- okay, side path here. What are your five favorite shirts from like your – your age eight to age well, fourteen childhood. Well, okay, fair question. But and I, how many do you still have? I think in I just repertoire? got rid of like a lot of them, actually. To be honest with you, um, but like, okay, so I loved because of the fabric a Jimi Hendrix T-shirt that I had. Um, I'm currently wearing a Podcast One T-shirt, which is honestly not a plug. It's just a really comfortable shirt. <laughs> um, what are the other ones that I like? I right had a now? Chicks Dig the Long Ball shirt oh, nice. in the late nineties. Remember that those commercials yep. with Tom Glavin and yep. Greg Maddox and That's Randy right. Johnson? You had another one too. I thought you have a Babip uh related t shirt. Chicks Dig Babip, oh, yeah. I had Chicks Dig the Long Ball in the nineties. Now it's Chicks Dig batting average on balls and play. <laughs> I'm not sure that they do the the uh I don't know. I, I can't think of any other ones they that they do like, really, just in a different context. Yeah. I'm not really sure I can 
come up with ones that are, are sitting. But my closet's like pretty pretty shallow now. So anyway, that's like my point or, or my question is that like uh, when it comes to decluttering, okay, Marie Kondo's method is like hold everything you own, and if it doesn't bring immediate like tactile joy, then throw it out. It's like uh, okay, that's a that's a really big project. Uh, and probably has some like spiritual implications too, but just for the sort of more no nonsense, pragmatic, uh, like secular decluttering, you would you buy that item that's sitting in your living room right now? Would you buy it for the price that you could sell it for on Craigslist? If it's like a twenty dollar little doohickey, would you buy that? If the answer is no, you should get rid of it. And if the answer is no, if I remember reading correctly in the book, you should take some time to savor it and touch it and smell it before you let it go. So you can have that big last goodbye with an inanimate object yeah, that I don't at know. one point meant something to you. I don't know. So now when you apply that to Brandon Kinsler, it gets creepy. No, exactly right. <laughs> and I wasn't going to take it down that road for that exact reason, but now we're here. So it's time to just dive headfirst in the pool. Would you spend two sort of uh you know mid-level but close to the majors pitching prospects to get a legitimate starting pitcher right now who could in a pinch make a postseason right now for you. right now and by the way they could yes they could still could. they could still do it's that more complicated now but you certainly could they could that's the, my point the answer is yes, yes. you would but you would but, say but the circumstances are so they were they oh, were three games under oh we agreed they, at they the time. are eight games better now than they were when we when that decision was Look, so the climate is so much different. No, but we're not we're not fighting about that the, the, because we agree. And I, I think I'm more fighting with the. I know that there's people listening right now who just want me or us to admit, well, you were wrong at the trade deadline. You were wrong, and the Twins were wrong at the trade deadline. And if I think I was, I think I was wrong. But I don't. If you played out this season or this last month a mm-hmm. hundred times, they don't hit the gas pedal more than about seven or eight out of a hundred times. So you you have to. You're not making absolute decisions in black and white. Right. You're not you're not making decisions. You're not flipping coins saying this is or it isn't. It's right. you're putting money on on lottery tickets as as like you're you're putting money on percent chances. Yeah. And if your percent chance to make the playoffs was 5% at the trade deadline, if they make the playoffs, it's awesome and they don't have to apologize, but if you played out that two-month stretch 100 times, it's likely 90 or 95 times they don't make the playoffs, and then you would have made the right decision by sort of calling off the That's dogs right. and getting stuff for the future that That's could right. help you. But if that 7 8% chance then plays out, that doesn't change that, like, in the reality that played out, you were wrong. Like, you made a sound decision based on all the information available to you. You took probably an unpopular gamble. I mean, although I did talk to a lot of Twins fans who were like, yep, great. I'm glad that they didn't get talked into thinking of themselves as contenders. I'm really glad there's not a repeat of the Wilson Ramos, Matt Cap trade. I talked to a lot of Twins fans who felt that way. So trust me, I, I get it that I'm not speaking for everyone that says, well, you were in the race and you sold? Huh. Well, it, that's, that's far too simplified. You're, you're, you're sort of missing the point by dodging the actual argument, which is, how likely are you to go to the postseason? And does that likelihood compel you to action? Mm-hmm. And in this case, I mean buying action. And it didn't. We sat here and agreed, and we said no. If it's a if it's ten percent chance, if it's a twenty percent chance, I don't think that they should give up a pitching prospect to go get somebody that could maybe help them win two more games down the stretch. Well, isn't isn't it likely that there's a third scenario here that we haven't even talked about, which is if they do make the playoff, despite having 
wave the white flag, that that's the best case scenario. That sure. not only did you right, get sure. future assets, you still made the playoffs. Sure. As and, sellers. <laughs> and, and, and in both cases, your World Series chances. I mean, you look at – sometimes I get tricked into this, too. I said we see the warts too many times of a team. I think we also see the good streaks. We see Max Kepler rounding into form and Eddie Rosario becoming a good player. And, oh, Jorge Polanco remembered how to hit baseballs. And Miguel Sano, yeah, okay, he's hurt, but you still trust him to be sort of the middle-of-the-order slugger. Brian Dozier, Joe Maurer's had a good stretch. Like You start to then get tricked into thinking like, Oh, interesting. On days that Irvin Santana or Jose Barrios are good, this team's right there. But then you watch a team like the Dodgers. You watch even like the Yankees who haven't really hit the gas pedal, but you look at their roster on paper and you're like, nope, the Twins won't be favored in that series. If they go head-to-head with the Yankees, the Yankees should win that series. No, it's likely that they'll play, if they play the Yankees, it'll be a one-game coin flip. And in that case, maybe you're only a 60-40 underdog. Sure. You could, you could easily that. win that game. Yeah, you'll take that. And so I guess, uh, I don't know if I confused my points here, but one of them was that if you're in a spot where you have a 20% chance, does it make sense to invest? And I think we said that the answer was no. Um, Sometimes now, it does. Now let's say you have, well... It, if you're the if Kansas you're, City Royals, right, and you've got a bunch of pending free agents, and you've got a twenty percent chance, go for it. If you're the 2010 Vikings, and Brett Favre's going to sure. come back, sure, and you know, yeah. not that there's like a, an active trade deadline in and, right. in the NFL, so it's a bad example, but yeah. But I mean, signing guys in the off season, you load it up in 2009 and said, all right, well, no, this might not go well, but I mean, right. what are we going to do? Oh, <laughs> that's actually the perfect comparison because the Vikings had a pretty good team, they just didn't have a quarterback. And I've heard you tell a story. If I've if you've said it once, I've I've probably heard it a hundred times uh, about uh, uh, the quarterbacks just skipping ground balls in training camp, and Brad Childress just sort of sitting there smugly, not worried about it, while the media was freaking out about this is a huge problem. This is supposed to be a Super Bowl. Ca-. No, oh. he had a Brett Favre crotch selfie oh, in his Brett in Favre. his phone. Okay, yeah. <laughs> are you reporting that? Or are you speculating? <laughs> no, just speculating. I guess so. Then they added Brett Favre. <laughs> this Twins team is sort of more trending to being good in the future when Miguel Sano is 25, 26, 27, when Byron Buxton reaches those ages, when Jose Barreos reaches. So you don't need a Brett Favre, or at least I should say you're not ready for a Brett Favre. You're not ready to, uh, you're keeping your gunpowder dry. I'm just mixing all of my metaphors. And in this case, if you're the twins, I can still, I can defend that decision at the time and still say now with what's played out, it was the wrong choice. You wish you had a Brandon Kinsler. You'd be at least one game better with a Brandon Kinsler, probably. And I'd say you might be a game or two better with a Jaime Garcia, even though he would have only made a couple sure. of starts. Now you fast-forward it for another five weeks as the Twins try to sprint to the finish with the Angels. And some of this is the other thing that's very important to mention, is that some of the teams that did load up, might not make the playoffs. The yeah, Seattle look, Mariners might be on the outside looking in, and man. they gave up some pretty big assets. Yeah. I know the, the, the Rays made a buyer trade, kind of a small buyer trade, if I recall right. The yeah. Royals the Royals made, uh, yep. not a, a, they landed a starter and a reliever from San Diego, and they're still in it. They're like a game back sure. of the Twins I, right now. Yeah, I'm not saying that the Twins and, or Angels or Yankees or whatever are in and the other teams are out, but it'd be interesting if the buyers are on the outside looking in. It's. I don't know if that changes the way you think about their decision. Well, but so so here's let's let's pivot to this because whether the twins were right or wrong, this or, got very philosophical. You know, it did, but I it's like but it. It, it's a, it was a question worth examining. 
the actual reason why they have been able to to pull back into this thing and to and to get to five games over five hundred again has nothing to do with the trade deadline or anyone that they acquired or it's 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 young players who should be crescendoing at this point in their career and finally crescendoing and also Brian Dozier with his annual two to three month hot stretch mm-hmm. at the right time but mm-hmm. Byron Buxton has been a completely different hitter since July 1st and that includes a couple couple weeks on the disabled list but he's been one of the better hitters in baseball since July 1st he's hitting in the mid 300 somewhere the power is coming around. They had him batting third again for the first time since, I believe, opening day or early in the year mm. or the first week of the season a couple nights ago. And Jorge Polanco, I have the numbers in front of me here. Jorge Polanco in the month of August is now up to 382 and slugging 647. He has three home runs over that three-week stretch. He has five doubles, a couple of triples, and he just looks like the confident, really good yep. hitter that we've seen yep. at times in the past. So, I was going to say, you can see him walking around that Jorge Polanco's a different guy. And he's not the only one, but he's one that's definitely worth isolating. Even with Miguel Sano not being a huge contributor, this Twins offense is legitimately good. They, got, uh, they were 10th uh, in Woba earlier in the year, and sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll dig beneath the numbers, weighted runs created plus, and use that to sort of inform my opinions. I stole this trick from you. And then I'll make a big statement like that the Twins are, you know, one of the best offenses in the American League, for example. And, and it drew a lot of criticism. I was surprised. It's probably the hardest... I've gotten pushback on an opinion this year was when I said that the Twins are a great offense and somebody shot back at me. And I said, no, they're top 10 um, in the majors. Like, what, what's your contention? And he said, oh, they're all young hitters. They're undisciplined. They strike out too much. And those things might be true. They probably but despite, are. But despite that, <laughs> yes, they still right. are. And they're, and they're trending in the right direction. No, that's right. That's one of the most encouraging things, I think, if you are a Twins fan and you're watching it for this season – you can still enjoy that pursuit of the postseason, and whether or not they make it, there is still this sort of silver lining, which you can say, well, all right, you go into next season feeling pretty darn good about the bats. Yeah, something else to to at least mention in this conversation about why the Twins have been able to be so good since the trade deadline, Joe Maurer has been his best since about 2013. He's still not the old, old Joe Maurer that's in contention for batting titles and getting on base at a 415 clip, but right now, and they've done a great job of sort of managing his workload and uh, making sure that he takes a day or two off a week and maybe pulling him from the lineup against really tough left-handed pitchers. I think Paul Molitor and probably going up to the front office too with Falvey and Levine have done a great job of just putting him in the best spot to stay healthy and to face the pitchers that he can feast on. And Joe Maurer is not only going to win a gold glove, I think, at first base mm-hmm. and become one of the only players in the history of baseball to win gold gloves at multiple positions, he's back up to a very respectable batting average, 286 to this point, getting on base at a 370 clip. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's going to wind up with single-digit home runs. He's not going to hit the 35-40 doubles that we've seen in the past. But this Joe Maurer is an absolute positive for this lineup yeah. and you can't say that for much of the last four or five years yeah and i'm not sure you fast forward that one to next year but it's it's worth it for this race if you're the twins it's everything has sort of lined up on the uh on the offensive side and then too we should say you mentioned the reasons that they're in it 
Bartolo Colon should have been a total washout. I mean, like, I wrote the column when the Twins signed him after Derek Falvey said, well, he'd been kind of unlucky. He's not really an 8 ERA guy. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Right, but if he's a 6 ERA guy, you still still don't want him. (laughs) He's like, you know, and and it's not like he's, he has an ERA, I think, somewhere between, it's like four and a half or something. Yeah, but he's won them some games. He's keeping you, and I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite here because I always make fun of the quality start when everyone's, people bring up quality starts, and I'm like, yeah, a quality start is a four and a half ERA. Kind of a stupid stat. If you had a full staff of quality start pitchers, a four and a half exactly quality start pitchers, you'd have one of the worst pitching staffs in baseball. I just, think that it's damning with faint praise sure, I, and, and i would say if he's giving you at that age and as just taking a flyer on a guy who was released if he's going to give you five or six innings and three runs allowed i think you'll take it knowing sure. knowing that this pitching staff you has know, so door number two yeah. is although steven gonsalves is up to triple a i mean they you know they they do have but Hildenberger coming up. It, it feels like reinforcements are sort of here in in some form, and not all of them are going to be great. But you know they've been able to run out some minor league pitchers. Not all of them have stuck, obviously, but they do have major league ready guys who have come up, and who and some who haven't come up yet even. And uh, you can lean on even more of those guys in September. I try to bring reported analysis to this podcast as much as I can. In this case, since I'm sitting in California and the Twins are not, this is speculation analysis. But when I saw from afar that the Twins decided to go with some guy named Tim Melville, who had good numbers in AAA Rochester, the joke's too easy. I could just, you know, quick, easy punchline, get in and get out, get on with it. But the way that I looked at that move when they passed over a guy like Steven Gonsalves, for example, was like, hmm, I wonder, and I'm starting to kind of piece this together. I have not talked with Derek Falvey about this, but it's just kind of the sense I get based on their moves this year. They basically treat it like if you are pitching in AAA Rochester for this organization, you are counted on to make starts in an emergency. It's well, Aaron Sleggers was another one. It's your turn. All right, yeah, go get him. And Aaron, Sleggers actually had a good start. He did. He uh, he looked very much like a major leaguer. He's six foot ten. You know, I think that in that. 24-hour stretch, he grew on me a lot. Just based on the outing, the composure, and this is dumb, but it goes in line with my reported analysis thought from a second ago. His post-game comments. I don't know if you got a chance to see uh, some of the video, but standing there as he answered reporters' questions after the game, I don't really know. I wrote about this in Five Thoughts, if if any listeners saw that column, but I, I don't really know how to phrase it, like the best way to present it. I can just tell you how I thought about it, which was he took the time to listen to your question, which sounds so stupid and and like very self-important that, oh, this ball player listened to our questions, so good on him. He'll but, figure out how to ignore you guys after right. about his third <laughs> major right. league start. Don't worry, he'll get it. There's plenty of time. But I thought it was interesting that he didn't just have – he had a way of saying things like, um, uh, the most important thing to me tonight – aside from the emotions of making my Major League debut, was executing pitch after pitch and knowing that the last pitch, you know, I can't get back, so make this pitch. And that's so cliched. Like, if I just, if I wrote that sentence, you'd be like, okay, we've heard that before, Bert Blylevin. Yeah. But the way that he put it and the way that he was internalizing things, I really thought, just, again, very quick interaction, so I don't want to project too much onto this, but... Uh, it was impressive to me that he basically, I don't know, he he's just seemed to have a good head about not only pitching, but what 
he needs to do to be a professional player in the majors. I, so I'm not you're, saying he's so going to be a superstar. Cy Young votes is what you're saying. I, votes. I'm not saying he's going to win. Right. Votes like, are in his future. Sure. But I, so, <laughs> all uh, all kidding aside, that that was a serious observation. Um, that I do think that that there's more there there to Aaron Sleggers than I would have thought six weeks yeah. ago. They're just I, that's just he's, he's his stock is Honestly, rising. Honestly, dude, I don't know if I had even heard his name until two weeks ago. Okay, or oh, until he was ago. he was in One spring of those training. Guys that I just I, 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 they called him up and I was like, who does he play left? That field? happened. I had to, no idea who this that is. happened to Tim Melville. I was going through <laughs> a week ago trying to figure out who might make starts for the Twins on that Monday doubleheader. But you know what? At one point. Cleveland Indians fans right. said, who's Corey Kluber? Sure. Okay. All right. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> I was looking through the names, though, and I was like, okay, well, Derek Falvey, to my point just a second ago, he sure seems to care a lot about whose turn it is in the rotation and not who might have the best stuff or who might have the highest prospect status. It's whose turn is it, and is he pitching at a high level, right. and will I have to make a 40-man move? You know, at least they've gotten to take a look at about Three dozen yeah. pitchers yeah. so far this year. Yeah. Hey, you know this might be a new benchmark for uh, for our podcast here. Can we end this episode with a stat of the stat of the week or a stat of the episode? Because sure I have can. one for you. Oh, I was going to say that I oh, have and it's one up to too. You to provide one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I, it's, this is a loose one, and it's before I lose the train of thought. You know, sometimes it just floats around in your head. Here it is, so I can say it out loud and not forget it. The Joe Mauer thing, and then we'll close with your stat of the week, Phil. You should get that bit sponsored. Thank. Your uh, your stat of the week brought to you by Stats Inc. Brought to you by I don't think ESPN Numberfire dot com Fangraphs. I don't think Fangraphs is spending money to advertise there. <laughs> that would be a fair <laughs> guess. The way the way that uh, uh, I was going to go with that quick anecdote is that um, interestingly, for uh, as much as it's true that Joe Mauer is not the same old Joe Mauer, but he's been good. For the Twins, and no matter how good he is, he could be, you know, he could be Hall of Fame good, and ninety percent of Twins fans on Twitter hate him. It, that's just always going to be the case. That's fine. I don't care. He's a lightning rod. It's like LeBron James. The 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 thing that I was going to bring up though um, is that he's on pace or very close to it. If he stays healthy this year and next year, to set the Twins franchise record for times reaching base. You you heard he was in the news last week for passing, uh, was it Tony Oliva on the hits list? And that's a huge accomplishment in itself, but he's got a ways to go to catch guys like Kirby. In terms of getting on base, though, he's tracking to be almost exactly on pace to tie or pass Harmon Killebrew next season. And then it gets all kinds of interesting. Yeah. And who knows what? if Maurer plays another year after the that. The ability to move the chains and just avoid outs is the most important component to run scoring. And I don't, I don't think the mainstream consensus would say that. I think they would say, well, home runs and power. And yes, obviously those are important components as well. But the ability to get on base and move the chains is the single most important yeah. component I mean, we've of done scoring an, runs as a team. We've done entire podcasts on that. Um, yeah. I, I just thought it In was fact, worth... we did a full Joe Maurer episode. Yep. It was, I think it was last summer around yep. this time. We were we were asking the question, is Joe Maurer a Hall of Famer? And so there's a Go pod- find that episode. There's again. a podcast <laughs> tease for you. So here is the stat of the week, and I'm going to build up to it because I don't owe this player a full apology like maybe Eddie Rosario if he continues to hit like this. This was probably just a really good start in the middle of a pretty bad five-year run for this particular pitcher. But um, let me preface the stat of the week by saying I was so annoyed by Dick Bramer in game one of a doubleheader against Cleveland a few days ago, like a week ago, 
just breathlessly complaining about, that's how it came off to me on the broadcast, about how unlucky Kyle Gibson is. Oh, there's another flare to the outfield. Oh, Gibson just getting so many weak hits and just, they're all dropping in, right? Oh, there's another infield single. And, And my retort to that was if you can't miss bats, if you don't have an out pitch on one and two and two and two, and if you have one of the worst strikeout rates of any pitcher this season in the major leagues, you don't reserve the right to complain about bad luck. Not that Gibson was necessarily, but you know, someone complaining on behalf of him. That if you can't miss bats, and if you can't, with a runner on third base and one out, get a strikeout once in a while instead of a sack fly that scores the run, then you're just not like you're not a great major league pitcher. Not mm-hmm. that that's breaking news. I think it's kind of played out that Kyle Gibson is not a great major league pitcher. However, he deserves credit. Okay. Because in his follow-up start, as we record this, last night against the White Sox, he went seven, only gave up one run, struck out eight, and most importantly, stat of the week, by far a season-high 17 swinging strikes for Kyle Gibson on the mound last night. So he deserves credit. He only had eight swinging strikes against Cleveland in that start that I was alluding to. So if you get 10 more swings and misses, that's huge. Strikeouts go up. Yeah. You maybe get yourself out of some jams that otherwise a ground ball to the shortstop would have scored a run from third base. Yeah. You know, that's why that's why Craig Kimbrell and Clayton Kershaw have ERAs below 2 because they don't allow contact. Yeah, you get to two strikes, you can take the at bat away from the hitter. Correct. You, I mean, even even Clayton Kershaw's swinging strike rate isn't 100%. Sometimes it feels like it, but it's not. And mm-hmm. Kenley Jansen, they're they're higher, so they have a higher probability of success in a one-two count than Kyle Gibson does. Um, I didn't see the start. We were in Anaheim. But the, the thing that's always struck me about Kyle Gibson, and I, I think even as I can f- concede to the crowd that says he's not a good pitcher, he's he's probably not. I think that you're right. But I've always contended that it looks, when you're watching him, if you were a scout, it looks like he should be better it's than he has Mike been. Pelfrey. I mean, it, 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 yeah. he's on the Mike Pelfrey track where yeah. you look at the stuff and it's like kind of mid-90s and there's movement and they're big dudes when with he's angle. Got, when he's got the curveball working for him, I legitimately think he has two really good major league pitches. Yeah. It's the curve and the little two-seamer that he gets sink on. That's, I guess, where he gets a lot of his ground balls. But uh, yeah, I, just from a just from an aesthetics perspective, I've always thought Kyle Gibson probably underperforming what he should be. If he's added this swing and swing and miss stuff to his repertoire, well, I guess look out because the Twins have another pitcher. Uh, I guess color me skeptical until I see an extended run of that kind of performance from Gibson. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. Like it was, It's a really good start, and the Twins needed it. I mean, the Twins need good starts right now down the stretch, but if you're asking me them. what I put all my chips on the Kyle Gibson will now be a swing and miss strikeout artist, probably not. You know, that's what Cleveland fans used to say about Corey Kluber. <laughs>